all the time. God is good. I just believe that, don't you? God is a good God. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. I think that's good news. He's not even in a bad mood. I know that's probably not real popular to say, but uh, I believe he's a good God. Can you say amen? It is a great honor to be here. I have uh, been acquainted and known Pastor Brian, or Pastor Matthew, should I say, or Bishop, I'm, I think, since I, the last time I was uh, with him, Bishop Matthews, and uh, uh, it is good to be back together with him. I'm looking forward to catching up again. It was uh, We've been friends on Facebook since we've known each other since we've been on Facebook. And uh, he just happened to catch me when I was going to be down in this area and didn't have a Sunday. It was actually the perfect moment that he shot me the little note. And I said, let's just do this. So I'm honored to be here this morning, thrilled to be here. I don't know much about you, so you're going to have to respond a little bit. So I know I'm in the right ballpark when I preach in it because I, I had to test the waters. You know, when you travel, what happens is for us, we travel all over the world. We get on an airplane or a bus, or a train, or a car, or on foot, or something everywhere. Uh, last week, I preached in Arizona. Uh, the week before that, I was in South Carolina. The week before that, I was in Hawaii. The week before that, I have to go back and look at my calendar, see where I was at. But uh, we travel all over the world, and we preach in a whole lot of different places. So it's kind of hard to know what kind of a mindset you're in. But uh, I think if you preach Jesus, you pretty much are going to be in the right ballpark, no matter what you preach. And uh, Hallelujah. That's my emphasis is when it's all said and done, it's about him. I didn't come to point you to my ministry. I came to point you to him because I think, you know, no matter where you go, whether it's the jungles of Africa or the shores of Malaysia or, uh, or, or, or the tropical islands of Hawaii, when you point people to Jesus, Jesus by himself is enough. Now, I'm convinced of that. If you can't give them nothing but Jesus, you've given them everything they need. Let me jump in the Word, and we're, just, we're going to just go ahead and uh, uh, get in the Word because I'm one of those guys that I can preach the everlasting gospel. But I'm going to do my best not to this morning. Hallelujah. Uh, Matthew, the third chapter, is a verse of Scripture that the Lord has really been stirring my heart with in just the last little season. And we've been doing a series, actually, out of this. So I'm going to kind of give you a snapshot from that this morning. Uh, but chapter 3 of the book of St. Matthew, verse number 1, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read from King James Version this morning. It says, uh, verse 1, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Here was what his message was, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. I wish you, if we could, let's go over to Isaiah chapter 40 real quickly where that's quoting from. You, you see verse 3, it said, this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Isaiah, the 40th chapter, if you'll go over there, uh, I'd like to read a verse or two from there. Now, if you... Uh, have ever been to Bible school or been around anybody that's looked at some of these things, Isaiah is said to be a mini-Bible. There are 66 uh, chapters in the book of Isaiah, and there are 66 books in the Bible. So the, uh, the, the 40th chapter of Isaiah would be what would be the beginning 
of the new covenant. I don't think it's an accident that then Matthew chapter 3, the beginning of the New Testament, starts out by saying, this is he which was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. But look at what chapter 40 says. So this would be, this first verse of chapter 40 would be what would be like the beginning of the new covenant. Uh, Chapter 40 verse 1 says, I like this, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Saith your God, speak you comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Now, this is where Matthew was quoting verse 3, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. I don't know about you, but that's some pretty good news to me. Is that he would start out the new covenant by saying, Comfort my people. Tell her that her warfare is accomplished. Now, how many know the only way you can tell people that the warfare is accomplished is when you show them that Jesus has already won the victory? How many know the battle is, is over because somebody has won the victory? How many know the fight is fixed? It's a done deal. Somebody's already won the victory. I have a friend who says, you know, uh, the scripture says that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I don't know how you are down here, but I, I've always had a great liking for sports and I like boxing and different things like that. How many know that Sugar Ray Leonard was a great boxer? That may not be your opinion, but it is mine. How many know he was a great boxer? He was a world champion. He was a conqueror. But how many know that Mrs. Sugar Ray Leonard was more than a conqueror? Why is that? Because Mrs. Sugar Ray never had to get in the ring. Sugar Ray Leonard would win the fight. They'd hand him the check. He'd get out of the, come on, hallelujah. He'd get out of the ring, having won the battle, beat every foe that was out there. He hands Miss Sugar Ray Leonard the check. How many know that's more than a conqueror? Someone, come on, somebody. Touch somebody say, I'm more than a conqueror today. Because I'm married to the one who won the fight. Hallelujah. He's already won the victory and made us more than conquerors. Now, let me just make a few statements because it's hard for me to jump in here midstream and not hardly know where to to, to jump in at. But, uh, you know, when I I, I was growing up, let me just tell you just a little bit about me. And I'm not doing that just to tell you about me. But I, I was raised in classical Pentecost under what I call terrorist preachers. And uh, they were the kind of dudes, and I know some of you all been there and done that, got the C-shirt too, but they was the kind of guys that, you know, when we, back in the day when we were growing up, I probably Pastor Brian was the same age group and era, we didn't have two or three day revivals, we had 15, 16 week revivals. And we went every night, of course, back then everything was a sin, so that's about all you had to do for entertainment. Come on, somebody. And uh, I would be excited because I'm a young man and revival was about to start and I'd be excited about revival starting. It was going to go 15, 16 weeks and I'd start the revival thinking I'm saved. But by the time this dude came and preached the parts of the law that fit our culture and called it the gospel, the more I wondered if I was really saved or not. Y'all quiet in here. I, I don't know if I'm in the right room or not. They would come in and they must have picked a fight with their wife on the way to church just to get their game face on because they looked like they was mean-looking dudes. My mama said they looked like they was baptized in dill pickle juice. 
And them dudes would come and they'd pull their glasses down on their nose about like that, look down over the pulpit at you, pull their pants about midway up their chest. Suspenders, you know, tight as they could. If they blew a suspender, it would have killed somebody on the front row. Come on, somebody. And they would rear back, and this is how they did it. If I had a Hammond B3 organ, I could really do it. But they'd say, you want me to name sin. I'm going to name it for you this morning. Some of you women came in here with makeup on your Jezebel face. You got to hack when you do that because it makes it sound scary. You got head levelers on your head. Devil's food cake in your refrigerator. You eating devil's Deviled hand, deviled eggs, devil food cake. You got a television set in your living room. Hallelujah. And devil's horns on your roof. And you want God on one side and the world on the other. And you want to compromise. And you got to shake your jaws when you say compromise. Now, I'm not making fun of them in the sense I am, but uh, somebody said, you do that awful well. That's because I was one of them. Until like the Apostle Paul, I got knocked to the ground, got a revelation of the grace of God, and realized a lot of stuff I was preaching wasn't even in the Bible. Come on, somebody help me a little bit. And so I started preaching. So see, see people would come to us and they'd say, what do you all believe up at that church? And I'd say, well, we don't believe you ought to eat devil's food cake. We don't believe you ought to eat deviled eggs or, you know, we could eat angel food cake, you know. Of course, then I found in the Bible where Jesus made the first batch of deviled ham was ever made. So I got over that because that's when Jesus cast them devils into them pigs. That's deviled ham. Oh, come on, somebody. <laughs> Loosen up a little bit in here. Hallelujah. But man, you know, here we are now, not just with a TV set. We got flat screen, you know, and, and uh, you know, we got rid of the devil's horns, got a satellite dish. Here we are all these years later, not only not preaching against TV, but I'm on it several times a week. Isn't that amazing? Touch somebody, say we come a long way, baby. Hallelujah. Touch somebody else, say we got a little ways yet to go. But what we did was we preached the parts of the law that fit our culture, and we called that the gospel. Because we would pick and choose, I always call it, we'd turn over to the book of Deuteronomy because it's more about what you Deuteronomy than you Deuteronomy. And we would pick out the one scripture about women don't dress in men's apparel, but we didn't read the rest of the scripture in that very same chapter that tells you not only was women not supposed to dress in men's apparel, but that you weren't supposed to mingle thread in a garment with divers kinds of thread. But I never heard anybody ever preach against polyester and rayon. I never heard anybody preach against cotton underwear and wool suits. But that's, I never heard anybody preach against a pork shop. Come on, somebody. I never heard anybody preach against touching the pig's skin or, you know, some of the things that's in that very same chapter. We picked and choose the parts of the law that fit our culture, and we called that the gospel. Now, don't get, don't get nervous on me because I do believe we ought to live right. It's just what uh, I believe what produces the right, right living is not rules and regulations, but a relationship. It's not a law. It's love. Come on. It's not fear. It's faith. So they would say to us, Pastor Brian, what do y'all believe up at that church? I said, well, we don't believe women ought to cut their hair. We don't believe y'all to wear jewelry. We don't believe y'all to watch TV. We don't believe, we don't believe, we don't believe. I jeopardized my high school diploma because it was a sin to take physical education when I was growing up. See, I'm a victim of that same message today. 
Hallelujah. I tell people that ain't a belt, it's a fence around a chicken graveyard. (laughs) Bodily exercise will profit a little though. Hallelujah. But (laughs) they say, what? And we, we, we give them this whole list. If we don't believe, we don't believe, we don't believe, we don't believe in this, we don't believe in that. And all of a sudden, I realized when I was telling somebody, when they asked me what we believed, I said, well, we don't believe you ought to do this, we don't believe that. All of a sudden, I realized something. I had sat in church most of my life and became an unbeliever because they never taught me anything to believe. It was always what we didn't believe. And the Scripture said that when the law is preached, it shuts up faith. Galatians 3, for the law is not of faith. And so the more they preached law, the more it made an unbeliever of me. I would get saved every week and sometimes give them a midweek courtesy dip because by the time they got done naming sin, I knew I was probably lost as a goose. Come on. And never gave me anything that made me believe that I was accepted in the beloved and that I was really saved on the basis, not of my own works, but on the basis of the blood of Jesus alone. Now, once again, I do believe that men and women of God will live right, but I think that what happens is in the Old Covenant, it was about a law you could keep. But in the New Covenant, it's about a life that will keep you. See, under the Old Covenant, God gave you a bunch of laws. In the New Covenant, He gave you His life. He gave you the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is to the New Covenant what the law was to the Old Covenant. If the Holy Ghost can't make you live right, then all the church sheriffs you want to hire ain't going to help you. My daddy always said, if you've got a Holy Ghost living in you, it's going to produce a holy life. Now, what we need to understand is our concepts of what that means changes. Let me, let me just, con- let me work this patch. John the Baptist comes on the scene, Matthew 3, and this is his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, let me say to you before I say this, because people get nervous. Can I, just, can I just make myself at home here? Is all right if I come down off of here or you need this for the camera? Hallelujah. My son always tells me, Dad, you come out of the lights for the camera and we can't get you. Hallelujah. Put your hand out. Let me ask you a deep, profound question. Where is your hand? Right here. Here's John's message in a nutshell. Change your mind. Greek word for repent is metanoia. Change the way you think because the kingdom is within your reach. It is within your grasp. It is something that is accessible to you 2,000 years ago. Now, stay with me a moment. Because when you start talking about the kingdom of God as a present reality, people think you don't believe there's a heaven. I don't know how they get that. I do believe there is a heaven. I believe my dad, I, I believe my dad is in the balconies of glory right now cheering me on. Yesterday marked the year anniversary of my dad's passing. Uh, last year he was killed in a tragic accident. He was 81 years old. Great man of God, touched so many people's lives. But I believe there's a heaven. I believe that right now he stands in the balconies of glory and they are cheering us on to the finish line. I don't think heaven is as far away as you think it is. But in saying that, see, what happens is, is that when, I, I want to say that so people don't understand that. I do believe that if you're absent from the body, you are present with the Lord but I also know that, you know, I have, you know, also know that what happens is what, because we want to think in terms of the kingdom of heaven is over there, we don't think that it can possibly be on both sides of the river. 
But what we don't understand is, is that John the Baptist was introducing, he was giving one of the most incredible revelatory messages that would ever impact the human family. And he was saying, what you've been waiting on for 4,000 years is about to enter the world stage because the king of the kingdom in the next chapter was about to walk down over the muddy bank of the Jordan River. And he would say, right there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The king of the kingdom was about to make a grand entrance. And he was about to introduce the kingdom of God that would not just be something over there. I do believe there's an over there, but you ain't over there yet. Help me, Holy Ghost. I don't know how far I'm going to get this morning. I've got an old apostle friend, and you know, uh, you know, he came, he, he's, uh, he passed on to be with the Lord a couple years ago. It's amazing how many of the great patriarchs have gone on to be with the Lord. Actually, Dr. T.L. Osborne also passed this week, had the privilege of preaching with that awesome man of God several times. Touch more people face to face. How many know who T.L. Osborne is? Uh, touch more people face to face over the planet than anybody probably I've seen incredible miracles being with that guy. But this old apostle says uh, he was with me one time in the, in the service and they just got done singing. Won't it be wonderful then? And I do believe there's a then in this week by and by one more valley, one more hill. It'll all be over after a while. Now, let me tell you, if the only place you think you're going to have joy and peace and happiness is over there, you might miss a whole lot of fun on this side. Again, I'm not saying there's not a there. I'm just trying to tell you, you don't have to be miserable, be pulled to a knothole backwards. You, listen to me. If God starts this whole process in a garden and plants and garden eastward in Eden and puts in it everything you would ever need for the extravagant life and calls it paradise, probably his original intent for you is to live in paradise. If God would say to the children of Israel, I'm going to bring you up out of bondage. I'm going to bring you through the wilderness, but I'm going to bring you into a promised land that flows with milk and honey. If I tell you that I'm going to bring you into a promised land that flows with milk and honey, it sounds to me like without being deep or profound, it's the good life on every level. I mean, if you're living a life that flows with milk and honey, God wanted to give you that. Deuteronomy, the 11th chapter, God said, I want to do this for you. I'm going to give you as the days of heaven on earth. That sounds to me like God's intent is for you to have the good life. Somebody said, well, y'all preach that prosperity message? Well, we don't preach poverty. I don't believe God wants you to be sad, blue, discouraged, and mad. I believe God wants us to have the best life on the planet so that the life that we have becomes a magnet to people who don't know God. And they look and say, there's the life I'm looking for. It's the abundant life, not just over there, but right now. Somebody say now. See, a procrastinator is somebody who will not take now for an answer. Now, I do believe there's a there again. I think we've settled that. But how many know, when this apostle friend of mine got up, he said this after they sang all those songs, and it looked like, you know, everybody about half sad because it's like if, if it's over yonder one of these days, it just week by and by, but I got 70, 80 years of misery here. And then won't it be wonderful then? Maybe I'm, you know. <laughs> I usually leave church depressed because I came to hear the good news. I didn't hear the good news. I heard the bad news behind the bad news. The good news is we're in a new season. It's a no fail season. It's a season of blessing. It's a season of prosperity. It's a perpetual season. And it's a now season. And the moment we shift the way we think, see, the Greek word here, metanoia, repent, change the way you think. John said, let me just make it this simple. The kingdom of God is one mind shift away. 
This apostle stood up right after all of these guys got done singing that. And they're all in a tear-jerking mood talking about one of these days. And again, listen, again, I'm not taking nothing from that. My apostle friend gets up. He's got a gruff voice, very rough from preaching so much. He says, how many of you want to go to heaven this morning? Lift your hands. People lifted their hands over the room. He said, Father, kill them all. Kill them now. Kill them now in Jesus' name. Every hand in the place came down. They wanted to go to heaven. They just didn't want to go to death. Oh, come on, somebody. Because see, see, even if you don't understand the fullness of what he's saying here, something is God deposited in you that wants to live and enjoy the kingdom of God and the blessing of God right here and right now on the planet. And how many know that's not determined by who's in the White House? It's determined by who's in your house. It's not determined by the economic situations out here because we got dual citizenship. Come on. And we are citizens right now of the kingdom of God. I got translated out of the kingdom of darkness uh, and into the kingdom of his dear son. I am a citizen right now of the kingdom with full access and full right standing with the government of the kingdom of God. And I have access to be able to receive from that kingdom right now. In the United States, we have a Department of Health and Human Services, but in the kingdom, we have a ministry of healing. Come on, somebody. In the kingdom, we have a Department of Finance, but in the kingdom, we've got a ministry. Come on, somebody. In the kingdom, it's a ministry. There are ministries in this place right now that can help you make a transition out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. Before this meeting ever leaves, you can get translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son simply by being born from above. Hallelujah. John was simply saying the kingdom is at hand. Now let me say to you what he's introducing. He's about to introduce Jesus. Man, I am really got a long way to go in a short time to get there. The king of the kingdom is about ready to walk out over the bank of the Jordan River. What John is simply saying is, if you can change the way you think, metanoia, repent, is what that word means. The kingdom is within your grasp. John was the only one that could make that kind of a statement because all the law and the prophets, Jesus said, spoke up until John. And until then, violent men took the kingdom by force. But how many know that the kingdom of God in this day is no longer taken by force? If you read that in Matthew 11... Then Jesus would come down. Here's how it says it in the, in the Message Bible. I actually wrote a book out there titled this. He said, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me and I'll show you how to take a real rest. I will teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. In other words, under the old covenant, you had to take the kingdom. In the new covenant, you simply receive it. In the old covenant, you had to earn everything. In the new covenant, it's given by free gift. It's called the grace of God, the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. Touch somebody say you're under grace. Touch somebody else say that's the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. It is called the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace, and it's a gift. What part of gift don't we understand? We keep on trying to earn this when God said it's just it's freely given to you. Jesus is about to show up 
John the Baptist is the last, and Jesus would say this concerning John. Of all those born of women, there's not a greater than John the Baptist. Nevertheless, I say to you that he that is least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Everybody in this room this morning is greater than John the Baptist. You're greater than any of the old covenant prophets. You're greater than Isaiah, than Elijah, than Elisha. That's what the scripture said. Jesus said of those born of women, there's not a greater than John the Baptist. But I say to you that he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. You know why? Because you and I have the indwelling spirit of God living inside of us where they had the spirit that would come on them or move on them or touch them or come down and stir them. But we have a present Holy Ghost now living inside of us. Hallelujah. So that we are in a better place than all of those gone before us. That's good news to me. Hallelujah. Now, let me, let me, let me quickly, let me quickly jump over to eight of Matthew, eight of Matthew. Help me, Holy Ghost, help me, Holy Ghost. 8 of Matthew, verse 10. Are we okay so far? I'm in the ballpark then. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled. This is Matthew 8, verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them, that follow verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping. And my friend that travels with me calls it and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing. He was hooked on phonics, you know. Jesus said unto the centurion, go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed the selfsame hour. Now let me stop a moment. This centurion comes to Jesus. There's two, only two times in the scripture that Jesus said, I've not seen so great faith. No, not in Israel. One of them is a centurion. He comes to Jesus and he says, my servant's lying sick of a disease. And Jesus says to him, I'll go to your house and heal him. The man said, you don't have to come to my house. I'm a man of authority. I understand authority. I know how authority works. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And uh, so, you know, and I'd preach it, and, and I guess you, I still probably could, but I'd preach it and say, you know, if you understand anything about authority, you get under authority, then it's going to set you up for the miraculous. The only thing is, the other time Jesus says this is about a Seraphonician woman whose daughter's lying sick of a disease. And she comes to Jesus and she said, my, my, my daughter's lying sick of a disease. And Jesus says to her, it is not lawful to give what's holy to dogs. Can you imagine getting in a prayer line? The only man on the planet that can help you. And you finally get to the front of the line and say, my daughter's lying sick of a disease. And he tells you, it's not lawful to give what's holy to dogs. How many of most folk going to leave your church about there? But see, this woman, her need was greater than her offense. That'll preach. See, when your need gets greater than your offense, you're not offended by every little thing. And she simply looks at Jesus and she says, even dogs eat crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus turns around and says to her, I have not seen so great faith. Only two times. And I said, God, what is it about these two that you would say, I'm not seeing so great faith. And he adds this, no, not in Israel. And the Lord said to me, the only common denominator, because one of them was under authority, the other one understood nothing about authority. The common denominator is neither one of them were Jews, neither one of them were in Israel. They were both Gentiles. One's a Roman, one is a Seraphonician. Neither one of them had been up under the law, and so they didn't know they were disqualified yet. 
Now, how many know that this, I, I know I'm, I'm biting off a lot this morning, but Galatians 3 says when the law is preached, it shuts up faith. So the more you preach the law, the more it disqualifies you, and you know God will do it, but you don't know if he'll do it for you. Because you don't know if you're qualified. How many know, I'll tell you, you know, what? some of the things, I, the experiences that I had with Dr. T.L. Osborne, I saw legs that grew out like this. I seen eyes come open. I seen tumors fall. I, I seen incredible miracles, man. This guy was just incredible. God used him in a marvelous way. But you know the reason, and you know what, you'd see, you'd see more miracles outside of this country than you did anyplace else. And I said, God, why in the world do we not see miracles? We can't seem to get a headache healed in America. And the Lord said to me, because the people in these other countries have not been told all their lives why they can't have it. They've not been preached to the law and disqualified and told how bad they are, what dirt bags and, you know. And they just heard somebody come in and say, you know what, God's good, he's a healer. They just believe they grabbed it and then the miraculous happens. I believe sometimes what we've done is preach stuff that shuts up people's faith because the first thing hits us when we walk down the church aisle is not faith. It's all the last thing I did wrong that keeps me from getting healed. But the truth of it is Jesus healed a bunch of sinners in the Scripture. You're looking at me funny, but everybody was a sinner when Jesus healed them. What nobody saved yet because the covenant wasn't yet given where the blood was shed. Oh, come on, somebody. God will heal sinners. I'm trying to get faith to arise in this place today. He said, I've not seen so great faith, no, not in Israel. And then Jesus turns around and he says, the kingdom is going to be taken from these people and given to a nation producing the fruit. And he says to the centurion soldier, the children of the kingdom are about to be cast out into outer darkness where they'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing. And many will come from the east, west, and north, and, and they'll sit down at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, please be brief. Don't attack me yet. I always thought that scripture was dealing with one of these days that they'd be thrown into hell. But that's not what the scripture's talking about here. He was talking about the Jews or Israel as a nation didn't have faith to come into the covenant. So the centurion was about to become it. So the children of the kingdom here that are being cast out are the natural seed that were going to be cast out for a season. Now stay with me for a moment. And God was about to bring Gentiles like centurions and seraphonicians in. Are you hearing where I'm coming from? So he's saying the children of the kingdom are about to be cast out and the children of uh, are, are people we didn't think are about to be brought into the kingdom and they're going to sit down at the table with Abraham and Isaac. And he said that those that are in outer darkness, there's going to be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Can I tell you, listen, I do believe there is a heaven after this. And I do believe there's a hell after this. I get accused of not believing that because I preach the present reality of it. But I do believe there's a hell that you don't want to go to. But I also believe there's a heaven on this side of the grave and there's a hell on this side of it. I do believe that there are some people in this room right now who are in outer darkness. What's that mean? That means you don't have any revelation. I believe there are people right that Jesus was talking to like these Jewish people who did not see the power of God to touch a centurion or a seraphonician and they were in outer darkness. And when you are in outer darkness and you don't have a revelation of the kingdom, what is the kingdom? The kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. And it's located in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Well, what if I'm not in the kingdom? Then I got weeping and wailing and gnashing. If the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy, then the opposite of that is when I don't have a revelation. In other words, whatever area I don't have a revelation in. I'm going to help somebody before I leave here. 
Because there are people who sit in our churches whose lives are a wreck right now. And they are weeping and wailing and gnashing because if they had one simple revelation, they could shift out of the darkness uh, and come on into the light uh, where they could step into the kingdom that is at hand. And one simple mind shift could bring you into the kingdom. Hey, hallelujah. See, you can change your mind about how you handle finances and the kingdom can come into your finances right now. You can shift your thinking about your relationships and the kingdom of God can wipe some tears from your eyes uh, and you will shift out, come on, out of darkness and you will sit down right then to the kingdom of God. I'm trying to tell you the kingdom is within your grasp. And then Jesus would come a few chapters later. He said the kingdom of God is not just within your reach. It is within you because the king of the kingdom has come and taken up his abode within us. Hallelujah. Quickly go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ah, we're getting there. We'll be all right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 3 of Ecclesiastes. Can you bring that up for me? Verse number 1. I'm going to have a little drink of water because I hate a dry preacher. Am I making sense so far? Watch this. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. Time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. Almost want to say turn, turn, turn because of that old song. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and Time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God has given the sons of men to be exercised in. Watch this. He has made everything beautiful, watch this, in his time. Also, he has set the world, literally this is Olam or the age in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God makes from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them, but for a matter of rejoicing to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God does it that men should fear before him. That which hath been is now and that which is to be has already been. And God requireth that which is past. Now stop for a moment. This really hit me when I saw the theme when I was sitting in the room last night. For everything, there is a time for a time and a purpose. For every season, there is a season and a time. For every purpose under the heaven. What season is it here? It's a no-fail season. 
I started thinking about the scripture because Solomon writes Ecclesiastes. I'm doing good. Now, let me say this about Ecclesiastes. If you are ever depressed, this is not the book to read. Because by the time you're going to get through it, it's going to be vanity of vanities. All is vanity. It's hopeless. It's doomed, despair, agony. Because he starts out in chapter 1 saying, Is there anything new under the sun? That which hath been is going to be, and that which is... You know, past is where, where history is bound to repeat itself. The crooked can't be made straight, you know, and that which is lacking can never be filled. And he ends that chapter by saying, is there anything new under the sun? Can I tell you that what happens is Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. When he wrote Ecclesiastes, he was looking for life under the sun. He was looking for life under the heavens. Thank God that's not the only book he ever wrote. Because if he did, he's a failed writer. Because, but he writes Song of Solomon. I love it. Because it's not about the vanity of vanities. It's about the song of songs. It's about the most excellent song. Now, my question is, do you want to live in the vanity of vanities? Or do you want to live in the song of songs? It's the divine romance. But in Ecclesiastes, he is looking for life under the sun. In, in the song of Solomon, he's found life in the sun. Can somebody say, I've got life in the sun. Hallelujah. In Ecclesiastes, he's looking for life under the heavens. Hallelujah, but in the Song of Solomon, he's found life in the heavens. Come on, how many know you and I have found life right now in the heavens because we are citizens right now of the kingdom of heaven and we are not living under the heaven, we are living in the heavenlies. I like this, I feel the preacher sneaking up on me this morning. My favorite scripture is, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, past tense, hath blessed us. He's not going to. He's already done some stuff. He hath blessed us. I love this. With all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The word places is in italics there. It means it's not in the original language. He's simply saying he hath past tense. He's already done this. He's already blessed you with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly Christ Jesus. Say it another way. Sugar Ray won the fight, deposited the money, and says it's yours. The problem is we don't know it's ours yet. Come on. We still think God's going to give it to us one of these days. But if we never wake up to what we've already got, the greatest revelation coming to the church is not what God is going to do. It's what God's already done in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He hath given us all things that pertain to life and godliness right now. Come on, somebody. So that I'm right now got access to the heavenly. I don't have to weep and wail and gnash my teeth. I've got some revelation that's brought me out of darkness. Into his marvelous light. Now I love this word blessings. How many of you like blessings? This word blessing is the Greek word eulogia. It is our English word eulogy. And a eulogy is something you say over somebody that's dead. I'm going to bless you. You're dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. And when he prayed a pronunciation of death over who you were in Adam, he placed you right then in the heavenly. So that you're already where a lot of folks are dying to be. You didn't catch that. Hallelujah. It's available to you now. And so when I begin to realize that, man, all of a sudden I begin to realize it's not about life under the sun or life under the heavenlies. I'm a citizen right now of the kingdom with access and right to the heavenly government and all of its government programs. I've got rights to all that it has. Hallelujah. 
Ah, as an ambassador of the kingdom, I can't get sidetracked. I got to stay with my theme here. But the, he goes on to say in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you are living life under the sun, you are going to get on a roller coaster. I used to preach this text a lot for funerals, but it's really not fitting for funerals. Time to live, time to die, time to get. Time to lose, time to break down, time to build up, time to weep, time to laugh. And I used to think, well, this is a real roller coaster because that's what life is about. It's a roller coaster of mourning and rejoicing. Weeping, wiping tears from your eyes. Getting, losing, embracing, refrain from embracing. Build up, tear down. I mean, it's a roller coaster ride. Until all of a sudden, God began to say to me, no, no. You're in a different season than Solomon was in. Seasons come and go if you're under an old covenant mentality. Am I making sense? I don't know if I'm doing this justice. It usually takes about a couple of days to unravel this. But if you're an old covenant, what happens is if you're under the old covenant, I made two columns. The Lord said to me, make a left-hand column and make a right-hand column. Because he said the reason we are caught in this vicious cycle of a roller coaster ride of time to weep, Time to rejoice, time to love, time to hate, time for war, time for peace. Is because the verse, let me see if I can find it. The verse just above that says, because God has put the world in their hearts. The olam is in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God does. From the beginning to the end. Put, put it back up there about, let's see, probably about nine, verse 9. What profit hath he that worked in, all, well, in, in that wherein he labored? And that's the next verse. Now watch this. I have seen the travail which God has given to the sons of men to be exercised in. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their hearts. Now, seven months. God has made everything beautiful in his time. There's some stuff in this chapter, Pastor Brian, that's not so beautiful. I've never been to a funeral that I thought... You know, in terms of, I mean, for what they are, I've said, okay, this is a better funeral than another one. But how many would just as soon avoid funerals if you can? Hallelujah. Now, I don't know anything beautiful about war. I've never seen anything about hate that was beautiful. I never saw anything about losing that I liked. I never saw anything about this stuff on the left-hand column that I thought was beautiful. But then he says, but God has made everything beautiful in his time. So I thought, I must be in the wrong time then. I must be in the wrong season. Because if I'm living over here weeping and wailing and gnashing, it's because I don't have a revelation of the kingdom because that's outer darkness out of darkness. It's the furthest from the light. But come on, somebody, let's keep on moving towards the light. I, hallelujah. It is amazing to me in the church, we're so afraid we're going to be deceived or deceived. We're scared to death. Somebody's going to tell us something that's different than what we believe for 50 years. I'm like Dr. Phil, though, these days. I'm thinking, how's that working for you? Because anybody, come on, that's got any sense knows we're growing and moving and God has sent men of God, probably even to this church, with revelation to stretch you, to take you a little bit closer. Come on, how many of the more light you get, the more life you're going to have? Because the life is the light and the more revelation. I don't know about you, but I want all the revelation God has. People say, we don't need more revelation. That's people ain't got none of it saying it. 
Because I'm convinced the more revelation I get, the more I'm going to be happy, victorious, prosperous, embracing, loving, dancing, laughing. I'm going to be on the right-hand column of this season. So God said to me, if you are in the left-hand column, you are in the wrong season because in God, everything is beautiful in His time. So you can step out of your time and into God's time. You can step out of your failure season into a no-fail Hallelujah. Into a no-fail season. Say it another way. You can just, you can step out of an old covenant mindset today and into a kingdom mindset or a new covenant mindset today and if you do you will instantly be in season when you've been out of season what produces it repentance changing the way we think and the more we change the the more we metanoia see see to me repentance doesn't just mean i got to come to the altar get saved every week a lot of people come to an altar they got godly sorrow but they've not, they've not repented. They've not changed the way they think. They've not changed their bent. I, I'm not getting where I want to. Hallelujah. And the Lord said to me, what happens so many times is, we turn, see, the word literally means to turn from. Repent means to turn from. And, and just recently, the Lord said, you know what? They preached for years what you've turned from. But I want you to preach what you turned toward. And the Lord gave me Acts 2, 38 through 40. He said, is an untoward generation that we're dealing with because we've turned from sin, but we turn toward religion. Or we've turned from religion and we've turned towards sin. And both of them are empty. But can I tell you, my heart has turned toward the Lord. And the moment we turn toward the Lord, our turning to Him for our whole life, our whole source, without Him, I can do nothing. Hallelujah. Listen, listen, listen. I know I'm not doing this justice, but I've lost 50 pounds and kept it off the last couple of years. And the Lord said to me, uh, it, it's really because I've, I found out that, that even when it came to weight loss, I am absolutely powerless. Without him, I could do nothing, not even lose weight. Hello, my name is Lynn, and I am powerless over pie. Ain't but two kind of pie I like, hot and cold. It all tastes musty to me. Musty have another piece. And when you say you like coconut cream pie on television, everywhere you go, they got one of them for you. Hallelujah. And I still haven't quit eating pie. I just found out that self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Who'd have thunk it? Hallelujah. So now they show up. I say, thank you. I'll take a piece of it. No, they say, take it back to your room. Look, I'm, I'm weak. I'll, that pie will never make it to morning. If I take it to the room... Saying lately, I like Lexus automobiles, white, all wheel drive. <laughs> Nobody showed up with one of them yet, but you know, who knows? But I'm out. See, the Lord had to help me in those. See, no matter where you're at today, I don't care how long you've been in God, the only real change in your life is when you look to Jesus for your help. When you look to Jesus for your help, hallelujah. Because what he began to say is that if, if you are living in a season where it's time for you to kill, time to break down, time to weep, time to mourn, time to cast away stones, time to refrain from embracing, time to lose, a time to cast away, a time to rend, a time to keep silent, time to hate, and a time to war, you are living on the left-hand side of this column under an old covenant mentality. And the reason you're still locked there is because the olam, the world is in your heart. Now stay with me. The word for Olam is age. And what he's simply saying is, Solomon, if you're locked up, 
in this old covenant age, you're going to write a book like Ecclesiastes and say, there's nothing new under the sun. But son, if you ever got a revelation of the new covenant, you realize his mercy is new every morning. There's a new covenant and a new song. His mercy is new every morning. There's a new nature and a new life and new tongues and new wine. And then last but not least, God said, I'm going to make everything become new. So Solomon, if you're living under the old covenant, you've got an old covenant, Olam or age locked up in your heart. And you're living in the left-hand column. And son, you in the wrong season. Here's the tragedy to me, Pastor Brian, is we got people that have been in the new covenant for 2,000 years still living with old covenant mixture mentality and wondering why we're still weeping and wailing and not getting anything from God. But I like what he goes on to say in Ecclesiastes. What God does, he does it forever. And if man ever found out what God did from the beginning to the end, he would step out of his old covenant mentality and into the new covenant mentality. Because that which, come on, is going to be has already been. And that which hath been is what's going to be. And God requires of that which is past. I said, God, what is that? He said it was the lamb that was slain from before the foundation of the earth. That's what I've always been doing. That's what's past. That's what, come on. And if you can get a hold of what God already did 2,000 years ago, you will step out of your losing season and you'll step out, come on, hallelujah, of your weeping season into a God season. God is requiring that which is past. Say it another way. God is requiring of the church in this hour a revelation of the finished work of Calvary. And the moment we get a revelation of what he's done is the moment we step into a no-fail season that's going to be more than a year long or six months. It's more than a passing fancy. It's a season that has always been perpetually in God. The moment you lose your old covenant mentality for a new covenant mentality, the moment you repent, the kingdom's at hand is the moment you move in. Let me quickly hit this in, in my left-hand column if you're taking notes, and then I'm going to get out your room. I put there's a time to plant. Right behind that, I put Jesus. I mean, a seed was planted into the earth. So that in the new covenant, it's time to reap life. In the old covenant, it was time to kill. How many of the old covenant was about a covenant of death? It was about killing. How many know in the old covenant, we were always trying to die? Dying out, dying out, dying out. In the new covenant, you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So how many know the emphasis shifts from dying to living? In the old covenant, come on, hallelujah, let me just say this to you as well. Romans 6 says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Christ. That's what was past. Am I making sense? So it's not time to die, it's time to heal. In the left, it's time to break down. How many know in the old covenant, they tore up, plucked up, rooted up, tore down. But in the new covenant, it's time to build up. I wish I had all day today. Holy Ghost said to me, Years ago on the way to Boca Raton, Florida, he said, I want no corrupt communication to go out of your mouth, but only that which is good to the use of edification, which means to build up. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you've been sealed to the day of redemption and, and minister only that which gives grace to the hearer. And I said, Lord, what? he said to me, no corrupt communication. I said, God, what are you saying? Am I saying words that 
our curse words we've talked about. And all of a sudden, I got this friend that travels with me named AJ. Last name is Ambito. He came from a crime world. His dad was a, uh, uh, a, a notorious Italian mobster. Bobby Kennedy tried his dad. This guy traveled with me 15, 16 years. He had some words that he still had in his vocabulary that he thought were conjunctions. He thought they tied a sentence together, but you never know what he might say and when he might say it or where he might say that. It offended religious folks. And so I'm flying this airplane, and he's sitting beside me. I thought, well, maybe I've been around him so long I picked up a word God's rebuking me for. And I'm not aware of it. And the Lord said, no, I'm not talking about what you call cussing. He said, I am, however, rebuking you for cursing. I said, okay, show me, Lord. He said, every time you get in the pulpit and you browbeat my people, every time you tell them what they're not instead of what they are, and it's not ministering grace to the hearer, he said, it's corrupt communication, and you're cursing my people. He said, quit putting them back up under a curse. The only way you can curse people in the New Testament is put them back up under the law. For as many as of our works of the law are under a curse. But Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. And so I quit preaching against stuff and started preaching for something. Are you here? So let all things be done to the use of edification. In the New Covenant, it's about building people up. Because I'm convinced if I could, instead of telling you how bad you are and what a dirtbag you are. See, we are the greatest victims of identity theft on the planet, these church people. Because we've been told all our lives who we're not. But the good news is the, the New Covenant reveals who you are in Christ. You're the righteousness of God. You're a, come on, a new creation. You're a holy nation that you should show forth. That you are a, come on, you're a powerful people. Some of the most powerful people people in the world are in this room. And you know what? You may look at me like, what rock did you crawl out from underneath that? But I'm going to preach it till somebody believes it. Because what's happening right now is there's a massive shift all over this planet. And young people everywhere start to believe, maybe I am who he said I am. And if I am, I can do what he said I can do. Come on, somebody. Hey, this is my Bible. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Come on. Hallelujah. In the left-hand column, it's time to weep. Hallelujah. If you're up under the curse of the law, it's time to weep. But in the new covenant, it's time to laugh. In the left-hand column, it's time to mourn. But Jesus gets a hold of that. One chapter after John introduces the kingdom, he said, you're blessed if you're mourning now because you're about to be comforted. Because if you're mourning now, you're under an old covenant. But Jesus is introducing, listen to me, he's introducing the constitution of the kingdom, what we commonly call the Beatitudes. What is a beatitude, Brother House? It's an attitude you need to be in. It's a mind shift. Come on, it's a change of thinking. It's repentance from old covenant thinking to new covenant. What's he saying? If you're mourning now, you're in the left-hand column. But honey, I came to tell you, the kingdom is about to wipe some tears from your face. Hey, it's about to bring you out of mourning into dancing. If you're mourning, you're about to rejoice. If you've been hungry for righteousness, you're about to get a righteousness that's not based on your performance. It's a gift of God. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. If you've been having war, it's time for the peacemakers to come on the scene because it's not time for war. Jesus said it's time that blessed are the peacemakers. Hallelujah. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Not just one of these days, right now. You are the answer to the problems of this social decline. Hallelujah. It's not time to weep. John said in Revelation, I wept much 
because no man could take the book and open it and loose the seals. And he said, John, don't weep any longer. Here's what's going to wipe the tears from your eyes. There's a lion out of the tribe of Judah that has prevailed. Hallelujah. And John said, I looked and I saw a lamb as if it had been slain. A revelation of a slain lamb will wipe the tears from your eyes because you'll start to realize I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Him being made a curse for me so that I'm not in the left-hand column. Hey, 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 I'm in the right-hand column. Revelation 21, I like this one. It says, the King James, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Now, I believe that's future, but I also believe it's present too. Touch somebody say, you're the tabernacle. What? No, you're not. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. He said, come on, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and God will wipe all tears from their eyes. I love the message Bible. It says it like this. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. I'm about to go berserk in here. I'm going to let you out here real quick. But I'm telling you, God has moved in the neighborhood. I said, God moved in the neighborhood. And slap somebody, say, property values just went up. Because when God moves in the neighborhood... When God moves in the neighborhood, he starts a major renovation program. He says to John, write these words down because they're true and faithful. Behold, I'm just going to make everything new. Solomon said, is there anything new into the book? God answers, I'm going to make everything new. I'm just going to show up in the neighborhood. And when I show up in this temple, when I show up in this tabernacle, I start a major renovation program to make everything new. And when I do, it wipes the tears off of all faces. In the new covenant, there hasn't been a believer died in 2,000 years. The scripture said he hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. I believe when my dad passed last year, he did not die. He simply stepped out of this body into the house from heaven. Death, come on. Under the old covenant, you went to Hades or Sheol. In the new covenant, if you absent from the body, you present with the Lord. Come on, somebody. Help me preach a little bit. Hallelujah. He hath abolished death. Under the old covenant, you got time to die. But in the new covenant, slap somebody. Tell them, I don't got time to die right now. Hallelujah. I don't have time to lose. I don't got time for war because the battle has already been won. Jesus won the victory. Comfort my people. Tell her her warfare is accomplished. Tell them the fight's already been won. Tell them, hallelujah, she's received double for her sin. The reason you can preach comfort is because you all already received double for your sin. He was wounded uh, for your transgression. Uh, He was bruised for your iniquity. You had a chastisement coming, but he took your beating. Uh, Hallelujah. The chastisement so you could have peace was laid on him by whose stripes were healed under the old covenant. You had time for sickness, but now it's time to heal. Oh, great God. I feel the preacher on me. Under uh, uh, Under the old covenant, you had time to cast away stones. I talk about in that throwing rocks. Jesus said, he that had no sin cast the first stone. But in the new covenant, it's time to gather lively stones. The left column is time to refrain from embracing. We can only pick and choose people we wanted. In the new covenant, it's time to embrace everybody. Under the old covenant, it was time to lose. In the new covenant, it's time to get. Old covenant, it was time to cast away. In the new covenant, it's time to keep. In the left-hand column, it's a time to rend. Hosea said, he hath torn us, but he will heal us. So it's not time to be torn. It's time to be healed. In the old covenant, it was a time to keep silent. If you're preaching law, it's time to shut up. 
I have a whole other message to talk about what the law was given for. The lawful way to use the law is to conclude all under sin so that every mouth would be stopped. The law was given so you'd shut up. And all the world would become guilty, come to the conclusion there's none righteous, no, not one. I need a Savior. I need Him bad. Come on, how many that's what the law was given? Is to bring you to the end of yourself and say, I need a Savior and I need one real bad. I need Jesus in my life. Am I talking to anybody in the room? In the old covenant, it was time to hate, but in the new covenant, it's time to love. Hallelujah. I believe God has made everything beautiful.